to support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Thank you and enjoy the program. Hey everyone, here's a great way to support this website and make money for yourself. This is Robinhood, the app that makes investing easier and offers more ways to make your money work harder. Their goal? Investing in financial markets more affordable, more intuitive, and more fun, no matter how much experience you have or don't have. Keep a broker in your back pocket. Everything you need to manage your assets and all available in a single app. Set up customized news and notifications to stay on top of your assets as casually or as relentlessly as you like. Controlling the flow of info is up to you. Have access to stocks, funds, options, cash management, and cryptocurrency. Make unlimited commission-free trades in stocks, funds, and options with Robinhood Financial. The same goes for buying and selling cryptocurrencies with Robinhood Crypto and zero commission fees. Also introducing cash management. Invest, spend, and earn all through your brokerage account. Secure a spot on the waitlist and reserve your card. Here's what I want you to do. Go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate and when you click on the referral banner and securely sign up either using your Android, Apple device, or desktop, you get a share of stock value between $3 and $150 after funding your account. That's all you got to do. You get a free stock. I get a free stock. We all win. Trading terms and conditions still apply. See Robinhood.com for more information. Once again, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate, click on the Robinhood referral banner, and claim your free stock. Robinhood, it's time to do money. I wanted to tell you that I'm back in Toronto, that I'm in much better health, although it's still severely impaired, especially in the morning. Um, but I can work again, and I really want to. Um, and that to let you know that with... God's grace and mercy, um, I'll be able to start generating original material once again and pick up where I left off. Um, thank you very much. And, well, thank you very much is probably sufficient. Bye-bye. Positivesarcasm.com recorded here from the Spare Parts Studio. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It's your favorite Jew. Yeah, it's your favorite Jew. Yeah. You can find me on all social media. You can find me on Instagram at positive underscore sarcasm. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook at Facebook. Just look up Positive Sarcasm or P-O-S Sarcasm. Yeah, you can also find me on the TikTok. Still a thing, and I'm still on there. But if you just want to reach me directly, you can go to positivesarcasm.com for all your PS needs. So you can go ahead and hit me up there. You can donate there. You can ask me questions, positive sarcasm. Just hit up the contact section. There's a little thingy or whatever. Uh, yeah, so there's all those options. Also, a new way to donate, if you are not part of the Cash app, you can go ahead and check out my links at positivesarcasm.com. Click on the contact section. There's a Robinhood uh, link, and there's a Robinhood affiliate link, and there's a Cash app affiliate link. So go ahead, if you need to utilize any of those apps and you haven't had them yet, go ahead, grab those, hit them up. Helps me support this entire empire, which is forever growing. Um, a cu- bunch of shit. I got so much. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. I got so much uh, content and podcasts, and it's probably all going to fall apart. And eventually, about 20 minutes into this podcast, I'm probably going to crash. And I'm going to be like, hey, what's so creepy? I used to fall asleep on this podcast so much. Oh, it was terrible. So, yeah, you can find me on all social media and all that happy jazz. Uh, I also got Q&A today. That should be a good one. I got one that made me think of my buddy Bobby. Oh, such a heartbreak. So sad. Um, market was pretty good today. Oh, I'm not going to deal with all that bullshit, but it was something I want to touch on. Okay, first things first. Uh, I mentioned right in the beginning of the podcast, it was a excerpt from Jordan B. Peterson, which is going to cut into the uh, Fox business. I know Fox. I don't generally look at Fox News articles. This one actually is it's a, it's like an actual thing. It's not an opinion piece. It's an actual piece of news, something that we actually don't get anymore, something that's reported on in its actual truth. So Jordan B. Peterson, the clinical psychologist from Toronto, Canada, who had a severe reaction. He's a uh, he eats a lot of red meat, but he's on the carnivore diet because he has an autoimmune disorder. He had a severe reaction to coming off of benzodiazepines, a severely addictive uh, uh, antidepressant. 
and he had huge withdrawal problems that literally almost cost him his life. He almost fucking died. And he was shipped all over Europe into Russia and then brought back down to Florida and he was recovering. He still has some significant uh, you know, issues, but he's back and he's healthy and functioning again. He's going to come back to lecturing. He just dropped a video on uh, on his channel. Uh, you can go to Jordan. Just look up YouTube and go to Jordan Peterson. And it's called Return Home. And it's just eight minutes of him discussing in a brief you know, message that he's back in Toronto, he's healthier, and he's going to try to you know, get back moving again. And he also, he's writing his new book and all that stuff. He also dropped a couple weeks ago his, um, his, uh, his lecture that he did in Brisbane, Australia. But about like benzodiazepines and all these other terrible, terrible drugs that are still getting prescribed to this day that are absolutely horrible for you. Eventually, the, the, the bell is going to toll for thee and these companies. And it already, the hammer fucking dropped on one of them just recently. Now, the difference between benzodiazepines and like painkillers and all the other stuff, opioid prescription, well, opioids and benzos, all this other horrible, horrible shit that, you know, doctors and pharmaceutical companies were just basically pressing on their patients. And it was a disaster. It was a different type of epidemic. It wasn't just the sniffles from COVID because you didn't take enough fucking vitamin D. This was a something serious. This was, um, a serious, serious condition where a lot of people were getting hooked on these drugs, these painkillers and antidepressants, and these small towns, you know, like Worcester, Mass, or Lowell, Mass, or places in the Rust Belt, like Ohio, caused massive destruction within the own community because these people were so hooked on them. Um, they were, these people, when they couldn't get their fix, they were going out of their way to hunt down the doctors who, or pharmacists who had access to these medications. So it was a dangerous situation, and the the dependency on these medications was so bad it was it was terrorizing these towns, terrorism through a, a, a drug dependency. Well, what happened was there was the the uh, the one that everybody knows is OxyContin. Whoop! There he goes. So it just played. It just auto played the article. Shut up! There we go. Sorry about that. Um, so the, the actual thing from Box Business News, E.V. Fordham, the actual article states OxyContin, which was ma uh, the maker, uh, one of the makers, the known maker, excuse me, was Purdue Pharma. They uh, had to plead, they, uh, uh, per the settlement, had to plead guilty. And that was $8 billion. They had to settle an opioid settlement for $8 billion. Um, they did not release any of the company's executives. Deal does not release any of the company's executives or owners, members of the wealthy Sackler family, from criminal liability. So they are not, they are, can still be held liable to the American people or whomever the uh, winner of the settlement is. The, the executives and owners are still possibly liable for whatever it is, whether it's criminal charges or additional civil charges. But because of this, they've pled guilty and. As part of that $8 billion, and uh, they're also, I believe, filing for bankruptcy as because it's $8 billion. That fucking buried them. Purdue Farm is expected to plead guilty to one count, one count of dual abject conspiracy for defrauding the U.S. and violating the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, and two counts of conspiracy to violate the federal anti-kickback statute. The criminal resolution includes a criminal fine of more than $3.5 billion and $2 billion in criminal forfeiture plus a civil settlement settlement of 2.8 billion. So 2.8 almost 3 billion dollars is going to uh the civil winner. The winners of the civil suit. The other ones is just going to go right to the federal government. So when you break it down, only a uh, only a third of that is going to whomever are the people who filed the class action lawsuit if it was one. Um the deal does not release any of the it, this is a cool this is an interesting factor. The deal does not release and I just said I'll state it again cuz it's this important. The deal does not release any of the company's executives or owners from criminal liability. A criminal investigation is ongoing. The company is in the middle of bankruptcy proceedings, and bankruptcy court would need to approve the settlement. Quote, the agreed resolution, is, if approved by the courts, will require the company be dissolved and no longer exist in its present form. This is the deputy attorney general. Oxycontin, of course, as you know, it's a powerful prescription painkiller that experts say helped touch off the opioid epidemic that resulted in 450,000 American deaths between 1999 and 2018. 
Spokesperson for the Sackler family told Family Business they reached the agreement to facilitate a global resolution that directs substantial funding to communities in need rather than to years of legal proceedings. Uh, Sir Purdue's board, athletic, blah, 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 blah. That's all bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. The history of Purdue will also demonstrate that all financial distributions were proper. Yeah, okay, pal. The settlement comes less than two weeks before our president. Okay, I'm not going to get into politics. As part of the resolution, Purdue will admit that it impeded the Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA. You do not fuck with the DEA. Uh, by falsely representing that it maintained an effective program to avoid drug diversion and it reported by reporting misleading information to the agency to boost company manufacturing quotas. Jesus Christ. Uh, Purdue also admit to violating federal anti-kickback laws by paying doctors through a speaking program. So paying doctors just to basically push their medication, pimp out their shit. To induce them to write more prescriptions for the company's opioids and use electronic health record software to influence the prescription of pain medication, according to officials. So, um, I'll go into the more of the monetary particulars in a second. Again, again to more details. This is super important. This this is so fucking important because there's so much stuff. It's still being um, produced in some way, shape, or form. It's still being prescribed, even though it's considered a controlled substance. But these opioid medications, they say they say that it could be a uh, they we could overdo it because of the fact that uh, these medications in some form need to be still be prescribed. Well, when it, the thing is, is these don't necessarily if you're in a like an end of life situation, they don't use oxycontins. They they don't use Percocets. They use something else entirely. They go straight to morphine. Or they go. To, they use um, propofol. Well, propofol is used for general anesthesia, uh, but they use other higher dose medications. Generally, when somebody's in end of life, they don't use oxycontins. They use morphine, uh, and that's how they get. It's called a breakthrough medication. It breaks through the pain so that the patient can rest. Oxycontins, uh, in an end of life situation, don't do shit. They don't do anything at all. Oxycontins are generally prescribed after a patient has like minor procedure. Um, and they give them a few pills, a small prescription of it, a one-time prescription until the patient heals. However, that's where the problem kicks in. A lot of people have, they become immediately dependent upon the medication and didn't necessarily need it to begin with. Maybe a couple kickers to get them through the first couple days, but after that, no bueno, deal with the fucking pain or take a Tylenol or smoke a little weed or rub a little CD CBD oil on it. Why do we go ahead? Why are we constantly feeding fucking pills like it's goddamn Pez dispensers to people? They don't need this shit. They don't. You think you need this shit, but you actually don't. Whether it's blood pressure medication or 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 cholesterol medication. Oh my god, my HDLs are too high. Maybe they're high for a good reason. Maybe they're high for the right reason. You don't fucking know. And chances are, your fucking doctor probably doesn't know either. So the uh, the whole idea of opioid medication. Sorry, I'm swearing in front of my dog. Dory Bucci. So the idea that. This shit was on the market for the longest time and decimated. Not just, we're talking about people who statistically were proven to die because of opioid prescriptions. Chase, you gotta come over here, buddy. Oh, purpose, you know, specifically died uh, due to prescription medication, overload, uh, overdoing it, you know, overdose or what have you. But there are other people, it's just like it ruined their lives. They lost jobs. They got prison time or all that other outlying stuff that they don't mention in the article itself disastrous absolutely disastrous ruined communities in small towns so it goes on to say that purdue will make a, a direct payment to the government of 225 million which is part of a larger two billion dollar criminal forfeiture in addition to that forfeiture purdue will also face uh, a 3.5 billion dollar billion billion terrific criminal fine through that money probably will not be fully collected because it will be taken through a bankruptcy which will include a large number of other creditors. Purdue will also agree to $2.8 billion in damages to resolve its civil liability. Uh, it will tra transform, Purdue Pharma will transform into a public benefit company, meaning it will be governed by a trust that the balance of its trust interests against those of the American public to the public health, the Sacklers, will not be involved. And then it will be uh, see, medically assisted treatment and other drug programs to combat the uh, opioid epidemic. The official says the arrangement mirrors a key element of the company's proposal to settle a 3,000 3, lawsuits filed by state, local, and Native American tribal. Jesus fucking Christ. Um, there's so much to this. Holy shit. 
As part of the plea deal, the company admits it violated federal law. That, yeah, that right there, by admitting that you violated federal law, leaves every executive and every owner completely open to additional civil and criminal liability. Um, knowingly and intentionally conspired and agreed with others to aid and abet. Now, this may not just be the end of this because this opens the whole door. This opens the fucking floodgates for other companies that, that do other medications like this to be investigated and sued. Because this, this, this is a, this is a, this is not a no contest. This is not a undisclosed settlement. This is a full on. We fucking did it. We knew what we were doing. We tried to cover it up. We paid people to push it. We are the ultimate uh, mob. We are the ultimate mob. We pushed doctors to push the shit. We didn't care who it fucking affected. We didn't care how many towns it destroyed. We didn't care how many people it killed. We wanted to make money. We didn't care how. Push the fucking pills. Shove it down their fucking throats in any way, shape, or form. They did not care. And they and they openly admitted to it in all the files here in an $8 billion lawsuit. So that means that any at this point, the criminal investigation is going to go on and they're going to be made an example of. And every other company, whether it's Pfizer, whether it's Johnson & Johnson, whether it's fucking any other company, doesn't matter. Okay, any company, they're all looking at this and they're going, okay, do we have opioid medications? Do we utilize it in our services? Who are we giving it to? Uh, are we in the clear? Do we have to scale back? Do we need new policies? The government just took a fucking huge hammer... This is not political, by the way. This is a cultural uh, epidemic of health and wellness. Okay? It culturally changed America through the fact that everybody thought that they needed painkillers just to get through their fucking day. The same thing goes for anybody who, who, who uh, makes antidepressants. Anything, that, anything that's really, or, or sleeping medications, anything that is depend, you're dependent upon that uses some type of opioid or a derivative of opioids, Okay, they did the same thing with fucking people who made pre-workout. They were just, you know, manipulating the formula so it was less less methy. It was less methy. But some companies got raided. They got fucking raided. All the paperwork was taken by the government. Blackstone Labs, I think, was one of them. Correct me if I was wrong. But yeah, they did, the government doesn't fucking play games when it comes to this shit. But now, this opens the floodgates to anybody who makes... Uh, Opioids, uh, whether it whether it doesn't matter if it's for killing the pain, it can matter for if it's antidepressants like benzodiazepines. I mean, it almost killed uh, one of the greatest North American uh, fucking clinical psychologists, philosophers, um, member of the dark web. I mean, it almost cost that guy his life, but he's alive to tell about it and tell us about the dangers of benzodiazepines, and it cost this company eight billion dollars. So uh, the quote, uh, millions of families, blah, 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 the Sackler family has already pledged to hand over the company plus uh, $3 billion to resolve thousands of suits against Stanford, Connecticut-based drug maker. The company, but not the family, declared bankruptcy as a way to work out that plan. Should be worth $10 billion. They're fucked. They're fucked. This means like any company that's like, okay, if we are handing out medications, if we have benzodiazepines or we have uh, opioids or any type of painkillers or if we make a different version of OxyContin, which I know other companies like – uh, we don't give you, we won't give you Percocet, but we'll give you a Vikes or we'll give you a, a, a something else, Tylenol Codeine or anything like that. All right, our, we need to backtrack or we need to change course because if this company was held liable and then per, like corporately liable and then the people who run the business, the executives and the owners also can be held liable, not just civilly, but criminally, the executives can go to fucking jail. This is not the 2008 financial crash anymore. This is a situation where, okay, this company, these people uh, are not going to get bailouts because they knowingly defrauded the American people into thinking, oh, the housing market's doing fucking great. No, this is where they're not going to get out of it. This is a situation where the government held them accountable and they are now in a lot of trouble. They just lost $8 billion. They lost an entire company. And they are still on the hook, and now and that's and now every other company is probably going to be shitting its pants, and all the hospitals attached to it, and all the doctors that are attached to the paperwork. Don't forget, there were a ton of doctors involved here too that I'm sure 
are looking for immunity or covering up their paperwork or what have you that who knows what uh, hospitals or clinics or private practices they're attached to. And if their name's on the paperwork of Purdue Pharma of pushing these medications and accepting money from Purdue Pharma to push these pills and get fucking uh, a membership at so-and-so country club just for doing a conference or whatever, what's to say, you know, what kind of damage is that? What kind of spread of damage can this do to the, to the health and to the healthcare industry? It's extremely fascinating. And it's, it's, it's the dawn of some, I don't know. Is this, is this the end of it? I don't think so. This took, this was a long time in the making and holy shit. It's a huge fucking deal. It's a big, it's a big deal. And it should really tell you something about like what you what do you think you're taking? What do you think? What's in your cabinet right now as far as your medicine cabinet that makes you sad, that makes your pain go away, that makes you sleep better at night, that makes your blood pressure pressure go down, that makes your fucking LDLs and your HDLs uh normalize. That makes your dick get hard. That makes your bunion fucking uh easier to walk on. That makes your indigestion go away. Do, I mean, is this going to make you second guess how to change? Maybe you should look into doing things yourself and figuring things out in a, in a way that maybe if you went this route instead of fucking spending your money on prescription medication and your deductibles and your HSA account, maybe you should take it, be taking that money and focusing on the groceries you eat, the supplements you take, the workout equipment that you pay for, or the gym membership that you pay for. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, just a fucking thought. That maybe you should be looking into that instead of all this other bullshit. Instead of waiting for your fucking pills to get fucking refilled at your goddamn pharmacy. Maybe this is a good direction you consider going in. Maybe this would be a great, great fucking idea. I don't know. Common sense leads you to the guiding light of, of, of fucking, you know, longer and healthier living. It would just be a thought. It would just be a thought. Maybe you should go down that avenue. The uh, state government at opposed settlements are pushing bankruptcy court for documents that would spell out how much the Sackler family's made from the sale of OxyContin over the years. They were once listed among the nation's wealthiest by Forbes magazine. A 2019 court finally said they made up $13 billion over the years from Blockbuster Drug. Just this one drug. Through a lawyer, we fought wars over this shit. Through a lawyer, they said that they brought in far less after taxes. And, yeah, okay, whatever. Until recently, the family's name was on the museum galleries and educational programs around the world because of the gifts, because of gifts from family members. But under pressure from activists, institutions from the Louvre in Paris to Tufts University in Massachusetts had disassociated themselves from the family in the last few years. Uh, let's see. And then also the company's three executives pleaded guilty to a federal criminal charge in 2007 and paid more than $630 million in a settlement. But after that, the nation's addiction crisis only deepened. <sighs> that is insane. $8 billion, a half of, over almost a half a million dead. You know, and I, I mean, I don't know what to say. Well, I think I already said it. So I think it's I think it's very important that you kind of get the hint from this. Like, there's more coming, and I mean I I know that this stuff is still getting uh, still being prescribed right now. The question is for how much longer, and what is it going to be? Generally, a lot of these a lot of times, like for example, when the pre workout situation was occurring, like when these, like back in the day, if you were to if you were a meathead back in like 2006 2007. Jack 3D was on the market. It was first introduced. That shit would pump you up to the nines. You'd take that stuff and you'd be all itchy and shit. And you'd be ready to rock and roll. But then that stuff got pulled off the shelves because it was basically an, a, a methamphetamine for some effect. And then it got rebranded and got reformulated and then put back on the market and then pulled again and reformulated and pulled back on the market. So how, what's to say that something like a Percocet or a Vicodin or any benzodiazepine is not going to get reformulated and put back on the market? Somebody can have the rights to the formula, take that formula and go, okay, how can we make this pass FDA regulations? If it can get passed by FDA regulations after an $8 million fucking settlement. This isn't even a settlement. This is, this, it's not. This is not a settlement altogether. This is, we're fucking guilty. We knew what we were doing. We were doing it for 20 fucking years, 30 fucking years. We made, a, we made billions of dollars on it. 
and all these people died because of it. This is not a settlement. This is an admission of guilt, a flat-out admission of guilt, and they not only are they getting their asses handed to them, they're about to get their hearts afterwards because the criminal shit is still up for up for grabs. The criminal shit is still like, okay, first of all, if they had the paperwork, because you know Purdue Pharma, they have digital fucking records and paperwork records of uh, all the doctors and all the other shit that they paid out. Holy fuck. Is this going to be like the RICO law? They're going to charge one person. They can charge them all. They can go after all the fucking doctors and all the fucking hospitals and all the fucking whatever, you name it, country clubs or whatever. I don't know. Who fucking handed this shit out. Who gave it away and knew what they were doing. And they can go after all of them. And this is the true form of you guys went too far, but you knew what you were doing. And the question is, will we overdo it? That's the question. Is Will we overdo it? Maybe we will. That's kind of how we do things in America. We just fucking overdo it. And then we'll come back a little bit. But this is because it's been so long. It's been so long in the making that any overreaction on this is probably justified. Okay. Uh, but for me, it's like, okay, sit back and let it watch. Let it fucking burn. But I have to admit, this will, by a lot of phar- you know, pharmaceutical companies not partaking in making painkillers and benzodiazepines and other things, maybe it will free up the resources and the research and development from this shit to, go, to focus on other things. And this is a good thing for, uh, this definitely would be some type of victory for uh, CBD and cannabis and things like that. Because then it's like, okay, see this shit? This did more damage than marijuana did. This did more damage than CBD and cannabis and vaping, even though vaping is under fucking severe scrutiny. But that's because the cheap companies are, are making shit plastic, which is getting in the smoke and going into your lungs. And plus, kids today are fucking retarded. They, they, they smoke 24, they're vaping 24-7. So instead of smoking tobacco with nicotine and, and well, not nicotine, but, you know, tar and all that shit in a cigarette. It's like a cheap cigarette at the end. They're just sucking that shit down 24-7. Oh, it smells like strawberries. It's like, okay, champion, good luck to you. They make the disposable ones. You smoke them once, they taste like banana, and you throw them on the fucking street. So it's like, okay. So, but I know the vaping thing is no big deal to me. That's just me. The me you have like a you have like a bad drinking habit, or you, you eat too many fucking pop tarts or whatever. But as far as the opiate shit, that's like you take it once, that you could be genetically hooked. You know, like somebody who drinks alcohol, they're they're an alcoholic. But, I mean, this is a large company with or was a large company with building billions of dollars that made this shit so that they knew that people would get hooked on it. Okay. So will this be a godsend for uh, more, not holistic healing, but, you know, a, a path where there are better alternatives or or actually not alternatives, but actual solutions to the problem. You know, where you chop down the you chop down the fucking uh, uh, weed, you cut down the you cut the weed, but the root it keeps growing back. We date instead of that digging out the root of the problem and solving it through proper methods, whether it's through a real solution or a real cure or real treatment or preventative measures such as health and wellness and healthy eating and a healthier lifestyle so that if you do go under the knife, you have a far you're more likely to have a thought. You're more likely to have a far less dependency on any medications they give you after a surgery this is the case and they'll give it to you for anything anytime they cut you open anytime you are cut open you can almost guarantee that you'll have a prescription medication you'll have a prescription for some type of painkiller so and that shit is but it shit is super controlled so the idea like what's the next step after that instead of giving you a uh a, 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 you know, a small prescription for opioids or something like that. They give you a prescription for just fucking Tylenol or, you know, weed or something. I don't know. Or maybe you're healthier going into it, so you won't need to last long as long on that medication. They'll give you a blocker at the beginning. You know, the shit that when you wake up, you really don't feel anything. And then, like, you know, a day later, the blocker 
the med- the, the painkiller blocker wears off and it's like, ow! But after that, it's like, okay, are you physically able to handle the pain afterwards? People who are healthy and in shape are far better to handle pain. People who train hard are far better at handling pain and resisting it and pushing through and grueling through it. Then your pain receptors and then your mind, you're training your mind like, I felt this pain before, this ain't shit, I can push through this. You are wiring your brain to be able to control the damage or the idea of it. And that's that's the thing, because people are fucking soft right now. All right, so it's easy to stick a pin into a fucking uh, into a piece of gum, into a soft tissue, into an amoeba. But when you're built like fucking granite, man, it's much harder to push that pin in. So it's the idea of just trying to be healthier. What are we at? Twenty eight minutes. Oh, there was two movies I wanted to uh, let's switch topics real quick. There were two movies to uh, also yeah thank. Glad to see you're much healthier, Jordan Peterson, Doctor Jordan B. Peterson. Wish you all, the, you and your family, all the best. Uh, two movies I uh, wanted to give. I uh, just want to talk to you real quick about just to review. I uh, haven't seen movies in a while. I've been just busy doing other shit, and the close movie theaters are closed, and I've just been busy. But two of them: uh, the Tax Collector with uh, who are these guys? Bobby Soto, Cynthia Carmona, and Shia LaBeouf. And then there was uh, the King of Staten Island. With Pete Davidson uh, and uh, what the fuck is her name? Marissa Tomei. Was that Marissa Tomei? Yeah, Marissa Tomei and Bill Burr. So, comedian Bill Burr, excuse me. Uh, so, Pete Davidson, so this movie was directed by, this was Judd Apatow? Yeah, this is a Judd Apatow uh, direct, uh, film. It was uh, partially written by G- Pete Davidson, who in the movie, uh, he plays a character whose dad died in. Um, a, he was a fireman and he died in a fire and in real life Pete Davidson's dad died in a fire um, actually let me go down to the um, what do you call it let me actually go down they have like let's see like did you knows and stuff like that that's what I liked about that's what I like about IMDB there's like there's like a DIY not DIY did you know let me just check it out that's user reviews that's quotes did you knows there we go get that out of the way okay here it is pete okay in the movie pete davidson's father responded to a house fire or an apartment fire in the movie in the movie it's just in the past though and his father dies and the movie plays out where bill burr's bill burr's character is a fireman and then the movie takes on from there in real life pete davidson's father was a firefighter who died in the line of duty Scott Davidson's unit ladder, Company 118, was in Brooklyn Heights. They responded to the call of the World Trade Center at the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. They were rescuing people in the Marriott World Trade Center Hotel when the tower collapsed. And that's how Pete Davidson's father died. He died on September 11th. Pete Davidson was seven years old. So that is... That's some pretty... Uh, you know, people could say, oh, it's just, you know, his, you know, it's easy him for him to play in real life. Well, it's like, yeah, that's a fucking pretty tragic thing. That's a tragic thing to not have your dad at seven years old. All of a sudden he's gone in one of the, one of the worst moments in American history, in modern American history, straight up. Uh, but the movie in itself, it's just his, his struggle through, you know, his father was more like a king. His father wasn't humanized than meeting Bill Burr's character. It's basically... He was, you know, in Staten Island, wasn't really going anywhere, just kind of stuck at home with his mom. His mom meets somebody, Bill Burr's character, who's great. Pete Davidson's character is great in it as well. Uh, Marissa Tomei is awesome in it. All the other characters, Belle Powley, she is, um, she plays Kelsey. She is, yeah, or is that Claire? Is it either Claire or Belle Powley? I think it's Belle Powley. She plays the girlfriend or the love interest. Yeah, I think that's her. She's great in her parts. All the char- all the characters in this movie are great. Um, let's see, there's a couple. Who else is? I think what's her face is in here too. She was in the mo- she was in the show Louie. Um, let me just see. I don't see her here. Just 
Paul Kennedy, Lou Wilson, Ricky Velez, Carly Aquino, Ma Maude Apatow. Oh, she's in there too? Good for her. What part does she play? Maude Apatow? She must have been a secondary character. So, yeah, all the characters in this in movie are really, really good. It's pretty straight to the point. It works out. There's some funny moments in it. It's kind of a drama in some ways. It has some light moments. The kids in it are awesome. It's a it's a good movie. Like I give it a solid like three out of five. It kind of ends like open ended, but it ends with possibility. It ends with uh, hey, you can get out of this area. You if you see the world like in it, it kind of like opens your eyes to new experience. Like oh, it's like he looks up at the end and he sees the towers of New York City and he's like oh, this is a different world out here. It's not Staten Island. You're just kind of stuck here. It's like you know you kind of. He kind of gets his shit together in a way uh, and kind of sees the world through different eyes and kind of owns up to the fact that he has been living under the cloud of the death of his father. So not a, it's not a bad movie. It's I gave it three out of five stars. I, I'll post it on um, I'll post it on my website, positivesarcasm.com. There's a movie review section. You can go and look through it. There's like four or 500 movie reviews on there. But it got a 7.1 on IMDb, and I gave it a solid three out of five stars. It's a good movie. It ends pretty quickly. But it kind of ties up like a couple loose ends. Like Bill Burr's character, you know, that that works out well. Marissa Tomei's character works out well. He has a resolution with his mother. Um, and then Pete Davidson and his love interest, that kind of pain. It, it, it is. It's a, good, it's a good flick. However, unlike the King of Staten Island, the tax collector with Shia LaBeouf, quote unquote, doesn't really pan out as well. Tax collector, uh, 2020, tax collector working for a local crime lord finds his family's safety compromised when the rival of his boss shows up in L.A. and upends his business. So, I'm not going to say anything about, like, first of all, the acting was, it's what you expect. It was a crime saga. Now, if you want to know a, a good L.A. crime saga, if you want to get into L.A. crime sagas, you start with Heat. Period. That's the first crime saga you start with. Heat. Uh, 1995, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, uh, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Val Kilmer, Danny Trejo. Chase, would you stop hitting that shit? What are you doing? He Every time he walks by, he hits the camera. Sit down. Lay down. Sit. That, yeah, 1995's Heat. That is, that's a crime song. It's like three hours long, but that's how it should be done. This one, or Training Day. Training Day is one way to look at it. Uh, this one, however, um, no. First of all, it does that deep it has the it, it has the deep blue sea effect. It takes a big name actor like Samuel L. Jackson in Deep Blue Sea, who has the big moments in all the trailers, but in the actual movie, he dies fucking halfway through. So it's like a bait and switch. It's like, here's the big name, but we only paid him to be in half the movie. Another movie that did that was the movie Stealth with quote Jamie Lee Fox. Yeah, he was only in it for like a quarter of the movie and then his plane gets blowed up. Same thing. It's like, oh shit, now what? Godzilla, the new Godzilla, kind of did the same thing. Did the same thing with Breaking Bad's uh, Walter White, whatever the fuck his name is, Brian Cranston. But that movie, it wasn't necessarily Brian Cranston who was the star. The star of the movie was Godzilla. So um, that's the kicker. So, but with a tax collector, it's like, okay, your stars of the movie are the humans in it. And it's Bobby Soto supported by uh, Shia LaBeouf. But Shia LaBeouf's character, he's got all the trailer, he's got all the, the, the accolades in the trailer. You know, the preview of the movie. And then all that shit, write all the big lines in the movie by Shia LaBeouf. Right after he delivers those big lines, his character takes a huge... The way I'm, reason I'm spoiling this movie is because it's not worth watching. It, as soon as he delivers those big trailer lines, it all goes down for a hill for him, and then boom, he's off He's off to the races. He gets fucking eat, quote, eaten by the shark in freaking uh, Deep Blue Sea. Like, where when in Deep Blue Sea, when Samuel Jackson says, we are going to get out of here. The first thing we need to do, and next thing you know, the fucking shark jumps out of nowhere and eats Samuel Jackson and bites him in half. And then, uh, what's his face there? The other guy. Well, fuck him. Whatever. Funny guy. Um, he gets so he gets bitten by half, and boom, he's gone. Up. Oh, next thing you know, we're gone here. Now it's Thomas Jane and that other broad. 
Um, and then that's it. Same thing happens here. It's like Shia LaBeouf is like, ride or die with you. We are ride or die for you to the end. And then, boom, uh, Brendan Schaub and all the gangsters show up with those masks and start shooting up the place. And the next thing you know, uh, the, quote, creeper is his name, uh, gets all hammered up and kicked to death in some shitty Zapruder film. And that's all she wrote. Gone. See ya. And then it's left to, it's all left up to Bobby Soto's character to kind of make through the whole movie. And then it doesn't pay. And then the same thing with the other uh, big name actor, George Lopez. He kind of disappears off the map as well. Although his character was a secondary character and understandably died understandably. But Bobby Soto, who is a serviceable actor in this movie, couldn't hold up the movie because it's not a good movie. And that's the thing is it what he doesn't he can't hold up the movie because there's nothing worth holding up. It falls apart under the weight of the fact that it's a bad script and the lead up to the ending isn't any good and there's some shit that makes no sense and then the ending itself is just fucking terrible. Like there's some B movie styling done at the end of this near the end of this flick. And it's just not it's just not good. It just after the death of Shia LaBeouf, this could have been a serviceable movie if they could have afforded to pay for Shia LaBeouf to stay through the whole flick. But they couldn't do it, and the movie falls apart. It fucking falls apart. Not a good flick. Not a good flick at all. Shia LaBeouf's character was great up until he wasn't dead no more. And Bobby Soto, his character was serviceable because it was being held up and carried by Shia LaBeouf. This whole movie was built on the character uh, development, not the character development, excuse me, Shia LaBeouf's acting. And once Shia LaBeouf's acting was out of the picture, the movie dies a terrible death. And you're like, what? And then it turns into, what? Come on, that's bullshit. Oh, give me a break. Really? That's how it's, it's like, fuck it. Who cares? Who fucking cares? And the whole thing falls apart after that. It was just stupid. Absolutely stupid. If Shia LaBeouf's character would have died towards the end in a tragic death or something like that in another way, shape, or form, okay, then it would have made sense. But the whole movie fucking tanks. And it's just a, it's just blah. It's not even, it's just whatever. So I'm like, whatever. It's, I mean, the first half was kind of good and the second half wasn't good at all. So I gave it two out of five stars. I mean, was it a terrible movie? <laughs> One could argue but it's not a good movie. It's not a good movie. Two out of five stars. The tax collector, uh, yeah, got audited. <laughs> so we're at 40 minutes. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and close up that uh, account. And then we're going to go right to Q&A, which I got ready to rock and roll. So let's just bounce right to Q&A because we're fucking kicking ass right now. Um, okay, so here we go. By the way, if you want to support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Also, positivesarcasm.com, click on the contact section. The uh, Cash App link and the Robinhood link are right there. Here are the Q Dig Q&A, dig.com Q&As for the day. How should I respond to my boss's weird reoccurring lies about me and my colleagues? My boss, Valerie, makes up little lies about people who report, report to her. She never lies about anything work-related about... And while those of us who report to her all know she's a fibber about things our clients and other people have no idea for example valerie says my colleague cassie casey excuse me is lying about having heterochromia having different colored eyes casey really does have it but because valerie everyone thinks she wears different colored eye contact lenses every day valerie told my colleague Martin has PTSD from his time in the Army and in the war zone. Martin was in the Army, but he never saw combat. It was only ever stationed here or in allied countries with no combat. He doesn't have PTSD, but Valerie has told everyone otherwise, so clients and our colleagues think he does. Valerie told everyone, I went through an explosive nasty divorce with years of a years-long court battle. I, have a, I had a boyfriend in high school and one in college, but neither relationship was serious, and both ended up ended when we graduated on good terms. I'm new here. Valerie is high up, and she has pull, and his friend's with those in authority here. Casey said something to Valerie's boss once, and she said the response was that even if Valerie is making up lies, she isn't telling serious ones or defaming anyone or accusing them of crim anything criminal. 
It is frustrating, and I could give more examples of the lies she tells. Mm. Okay. Well, look. If it's a company, it has clients. Like, for, I mean, and it can Apparently, it's if it's a large corporate company, that's one thing. Uh, if it's a smaller corporate company, it generally has clients. And if your, uh, if that base knows about how much this person is lying, it could have serious consequences. So, oh, Chase, get off my nut. There we go. So in that case, if this bitch is making shit up, I don't give a fuck what she's saying. If she's a fact a liar making shit up, she's trying to make herself more interesting by puffing up the people around her. She really has, this Valerie person obviously has nothing going on in her personal life. So she's definitely making shit up about other people to make herself more of a, uh, a centerpiece for knowing more than she should. So in that case, you, for okay, first of all, what's more, most important is you. You don't like it there. You don't want to work there. You need to fucking leave. I know that's easier said than done, but it can be done. You need to leave. And then after that, you can go absolutely nuts about filing complaints with human resources or whatever. But make your presence known on your way out the door as far as what you need to do. Because that's a serious problem and it needs to be addressed. But as far as the bare best interest, yeah, you need to get out of there. Because that's not good for your... It's so bad for you in more ways than you can possibly imagine. But you need to leave. Okay? So just at least start with that and then see what else you can do after that. But get out, okay? Next one. This one uh, reminds me of a buddy of mine. Am I a jerk for not wanting my husband's new boyfriend to live in our house as we figure out our divorce? Earlier this summer, my husband and I entered into a polyamorous relationship with our friend. He moved in with us. Against my instincts, when his housing situation deteriorated during the summer and a few weeks ago, the boyfriend informed me that he was not interested in pursuing a relationship with me. Only my husband. I said in that case he needed to find a place of his own and move there. Because my husband saw it as me kicking his boyfriend out onto the streets to live in his car, he informed me that he was leaving me for our boyfriend. Interesting. I didn't mandate that he had to move out immediately, so we are still living in our house in the meantime. I have spent quite a few nights recently at our friend's house to stay out of their way and give them space. I asked them to do the same. My, my husband is of the opinion that his new boyfriend is invi his, his, his invited guest. And that if I have a problem with them being around, I can leave. I do not want them living out of the car. So I have suggested that they go in together on a new space or sublet for his boyfriend. My husband can be here when he wants. But I'd rather not have his boyfriend and my other ex here as I try to grieve the end of my relationship. My husband wants me to allow my boyfriend to continue living in the house rent free. And every time I bring up... What makes me uncomfortable, he throws out the fact that I'm kicking out someone on the street and suggests that if I think that it's an option, I should be the one sleeping in my car. Am I wrong for not being uh, willing to allow my husband's new boyfriend and my ex-boyfriend to stay at our home while we're working through our divorce? All right. Uh, you need First of all, you do need to talk to a lawyer. And second of all, let's face the facts here. Your husband's fucking gay, and he was secretly gay the whole time, and he, introdu and he introduced somebody into this relationship to kind of go down that route. This is what it was. Uh, yeah, you didn't mind it because there was an extra dick in the house, but the fact is, is he was gay. He was gay, which is fine, but he's also married. And there's nothing worse than being in a house with somebody who's with somebody else and listening to them fuck. That's, a, that's just annoying. I had a buddy of mine who was, he was living with a girl. They moved in together. Well, they, he was with this girl. They moved in together, and then she immediately dumped him and started dating another guy. And... He had to listen to them fuck in the house. And that is, that, I, I can't imagine how many times he was thinking about filling up that magazine, walking into an office, and taking everybody out. There's, that, that can just rewire your brain in such a horrible way. I can't even, I can't, I can't, I can imagine on different terms. Because believe me, I've gone down some weird roads in my life. And this is a road that I'm glad I didn't really, go down but then again the ones i went down were far more tragic in some way shape or form you know i got the trophies to prove it but in either case the idea that 
he he's I mean, the guy was secretly gay. The guy was a closeted gay dude who brought him into the relationship as a kind of, I don't know, saving point. And then pff, that was it. He's you know, he wants it. He wants it to end. So there you go. Um, he was gay all along. And if that's still your house, if your name is on the contract for the house, you have say of who's in the house and who's out of the house. So that includes the boyfriend. So he's not going to live there rent free. And also, if there's a divorce going on, and in this day and age, if there's a divorce going on, he needs to be careful on how he pisses you off because the more he does that, the more the lawyer is going to want to take from him from the divorce proceedings. That's it. So if he wants to be civil, the boyfriend needs to wait it out until the house is sold or until you guys are officially divorced and the things are splitsville. Once that's done, he can take it up the butt wherever the fuck he wants. But until then, he needs to be respectful of the fact that he's going through a divorce and even though he gets the he gets, you know, the cake, you're stuck with the fucking bill of the fact that you're going to be on your own at least for the time being. And you need to recreate yourself as not just some divorcee. So, you need to have some spots to come home to without seeing that. It's tough. It's tough. So, yeah, you need to consult some legal counsel to see what your avenues of options are and then go from there. But, yeah, that fucker can't be living there rent-free. That's bullshit. No, well, we're kicking somebody out. I've kicked fucking people out, too. I've kicked people out. I kicked an alcoholic out. I kicked a fucking uh, 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 a Narcan out of my house. I had to. You have to do these things in order to to protect yourself. Otherwise, liabilities are through the roof. You have to do this shit. It's important. So fuck him. Let me continue to scroll out. And if the roles were reversed, yeah, I would agree with the same thing. All right. How can I get my roommate to prioritize her career over her boyfriend? I am reaching out to, uh, let's see. I moved to a new place near her ex-boyfriend, who she has had a obsessive past with. They recently rekindled their connection. Well, congratulations. She is now neglecting her job to do midday outings with him. She has also taken a couple of side projects and is more invested in those than her current rent-paying employment. I've tried to talk to her about how she needs to evaluate her priorities, uh, making sure she's not neglecting the promising career that she claimed to be passionate about before this man came back into her life. She has ignored my uh, advice and is becoming extremely irritable, irritable not only to me, but also to other coworkers, often snapping at them in online meetings. We have different managers, but we work on the same team, and I have a good relationship with her boss. What do I do? All right. Look, if the rent's being paid on time and the house is not being neglected, then you have no say in the project. You've said your piece. You're going to say one more thing, but listen, I'm, I'm sorry that uh, I've kind of I've taken a, 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 an approach of thinking I have something to say about the situation with your boyfriend. I'm glad you guys are back to, I'm glad that you guys are seemingly happy. I'm not going to bring it up again. All I care about is the sanctity of the apartment. As long as we're on okay terms, the house is clean and the rent is paid on time and everything's copacetic here, I'm not going to get involved. Okay? If things were to deteriorate for some reason and this place was no longer livable for the two of us, I'll, I'll just get out of here and I'll go find my own place. You got to be passive about it. You got to be civil about it. And that's it. So as long as the place is cool, she'll figure out on her own. It's just like, you know, you tell somebody not to do something and they just go and fucking do it anyways. So what did you expect in this situation? So you need to kind of just take a step back and just leave it and leave it be. But it, yeah, it, the shit, if it becomes flat out, always look out for number one. That's you. And if this, it becomes a shit environment, then you need to get out. You need to focus on when your your due date to get out is and then make a break for it. And you and make sure that you keep this shit to yourself for when it's appropriate to relay the message. Obviously, if she's more interested in hanging out with her boyfriend and doesn't give a shit about her career. And look, nobody gives a shit about their career. That career stuff is bullshit. Nobody cares about it. First of all, she wants to do, you know, she has passionate passions for other things, other side projects. I have other side projects, too. This is fucking one of them. But this is my passion. This is what I, I love doing. And I have a a thrill to do it and challenge myself to do these podcasts, to make these videos and all this other stuff. So you can't knock that. Yeah, maybe the relationship is toxic, but if the rent's being paid and it's not hurting the house in any way, shape or form, then you need to just accept that for what it is and not be a hater. I wouldn't fucking, I mean, yeah, midday outings. Fine, let them. 
I don't care if they're slamming back four martinis. As long as the job's getting done, it get you don't give a shit. You're not her fucking boss. Do your own shit and don't worry about it. Right, buddy? Right. Who's your good boy? So there's that. Yeah, just leave it alone. Should we do one more? What do you think, Chase? Should we do one more? Um, um let's see. Should we do one more? This is Simon Lego should criticize blah, blah, blah. That one's stupid. No, okay. So let's do one more heavy hitter and then we'll get out of here. Is this the am I the ass? Yeah, this one's a, okay. Am I a jerk for whistling at my girlfriend to get her attention and shushing her when I don't want to talk? Sometimes when my girlfriend asks a question and she doesn't respond after a few seconds, I'll give a quick whistle to get her attention. They're not mean they're not mean blowhorn whistles, but similar to a quick light the whistle notification you get from a phone. Usually this happens when she's looking down at her phone, presumably re uh, reading Reddit or texting. Usually she looks up after my whistle and answers my question without me needing to repeat it. And occasionally when I my girlfriend asks a question, I'll give her a quick shh. Only if I'm lis already listening to something and don't want to miss what it being said. E example, I'm watching a Lakers game and the broadcaster began t telling a story I was interested in from a different room. My girlfriend asked me something about the story as soon as it was beginning to be told. So I gave her shh. <laughs> yeah, shush. Chase, if you want to sit here, you have to sit aside. You cannot sit in front of the camera. Do you realize there's a camera right there, buddy? There's a camera right there, and that camera looks at me. It loves you, but sometimes you make a better door than a window. So can you do me a favor and just hang out right here? We'll be done here very shortly. Um, there's a good boy. So just hang out here. Everything's okay. All right. Um, I'll be watching Lakers game. The broadcaster began telling a story I was interested in from a different room. My girlfriend asked me something about it. Yeah, the the questions and comments from another room, uh, that can't work. There, there's But there's a better way of handling it. Uh, and then this led to her complaining about the shushes and whistles and led us into a heated argument. She always She says the shushes and whistles are rude and I have to stop. I say not only are they polite and succinct, but it's rude of her to ignore my questions, leading me to whistle, and rude of her to interrupt my already occupied ear holes. Jesus Christ. I said she's searching for reasons to be upset, and we need to be able to have conversations about this kind of shit before I give up whistles and shushes for the rest of my life. She says I'm gaslighting her. Okay, look. All right, let's set, let's set a standard right now. Shushes are stupid. Shushing is a, another form of shut up, okay? Shushing is the Cro-Magnon version of shut up. Uh, the snapping of your fingers is stupid. It's like, hey, 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 hey! That doesn't work either. That's not, help well, it works, but it, you may not get the effect that you want. Um, her talking from the other room, that's a classic chick move. And yeah, you don't hear everything. That's a that's long. That's a long distance phone call that the and the proper information never gets across properly. That can't. That needs to stop as well. Uh, I have discussed this in my situation where if somebody's talking from the other room, it's like I can't hear you. You know, I'll walk in and and do that, or you can come in and talk to me. If you're in the if you're in the same room, you can hear each other better. So try that route. So there's that approach. But the whole heated argument about uh, shushing, don't shush. There are better routes to take. In the Lakers game, well, first of all, I don't give a shit about sports, so that doesn't apply to me. But if they're in the other room, you can ignore them. You can ignore them. If they want to, if they have something, to, anything that can be that that can be said or discussed needs to be discussed in person. All right? The, and that that's, that's, that, that's, yeah. In person, if she's if you're having a conversation and they're they're texting or on, they're on Reddit, yeah, they're not paying attention to you. Stop the conversation. If somebody's on their phone, then they're on their phone. That's it. You just stop talking about it. Be like, uh, when you're done. Like if you're talking to somebody and they they start looking down at their phone, conversation's over. If they say I'm listening, no, they're not. When somebody's on their phone, they're not paying attention to what you're saying. The conversation's over. But you don't snap your fingers. You just stop. You just stop conversations. Getting the hint is one thing, but snapping your fingers like everything you say is all powerful and all knowing and all important. No, it's not. It's not. You just stop conversation. Okay? Phones are ultra distracting. Reddit and text messages are ultra distracting. 
You're in your phone. Your phone is filled with tons of apps and tons of notifications. They're more pay. They're paying more attention to that. And then you, well, you can wait. When you're done with your phone, we can talk. Okay. If it's a simple passive chatting, then that doesn't matter. But if you guys are having a conversation or you asked a question and, and you're not getting that, it's like, whatever, just leave it be. Leave it be. Okay. If the girl's in the other room, chill. Hey, believe me. If a girl, if a girl asks a question and it doesn't get an answer, she will come into the room and ask it again. That's how that ble Okay. Legit. Did you hear what I said? No, you were in the other fucking room. So of course I didn't hear what you said. Plus I was watching the Laker game. You hear the freaking, you know, you hear the, the, the squeaking of the sneakers and you know, the, the announcer's doing this and the blow horn and the dan, 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 defense and all that other shit that's going on. Of course she didn't hear what she was saying. She'll come into the room and ask it. But you can either put, you can, there are other ways than, shh. You know, if you come into the room, if you're watching a game, you're watching a movie, I'm big. When, it, when I'm watching a movie, I don't like to be disturbed. Okay? I don't. But if, like, you're watching something and she comes in, it's like, you can, you can raise your hand, just be like, just give me one second. Just be like, just a second or something like that. Something more communicative. Two extra words. Just a second. Just a moment. One moment, please. Just a few, a couple extra words. That's not being curt. That's being informative that I'll be right with you. Or be right with you. That That's fine. That's not curt. That's a simple, you know, I'll get right to it. I'll Just give me a second. You're listening to a story. Okay, that's fine. Shush is shut up. That's what that is. Okay. And then from there, because remember, this is a person who you love and you respect, you spend time with and all that other stuff. And I get it. We all get our own time, but there are just a better ways to handle it. That's a better way to handle it. You're just being like, when I'm off, I'm off. Now, if you're in a situation where your door is closed, you're working on something or you're concentrating on something and you need that alone time, you let them know, I'm going into a closed door session. Please do not disturb me because I'm going to be focused. And if my door, if my conversation, if my concentration gets disturbed, I'm going to be abrupt. That's important. That's important. When I'm editing, I don't like to be disturbed. But that understanding has been already forwarded to the appropriate parties so they know not to bother you. And they'll get the point if they, they'll understand very well if you bother them, if you're bothered while you're trying to focus. So she should understand how important some things are to you, but at the same time, shush and snapping your fingers is dumb. It's, it's, it's just dumb. There's a debt, there's a better path and there's a simpler path and it will definitely lead to less and it will not lead to a heated argument. So just clean that up. All right, we're done for the day. Right, Chase? We're done for the day. So you can find me on uh, you can find me on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, TuneIn. Uh, did I say Spotify? Well, I should because I'm on there too. You can find me on anywhere where podcasts are available. And, of course, if you want to subscribe to my podcast website, PositiveSarcasm.com, you can find my information there. Or, well, I guess you can go to my YouTube channel, YouTube channel, Positive Sarcasm and Positive Sarcasm Podcast for, of course, this episode. Um, you can find me on there. You can hit me up on my social media pages. Check out all my information. You can email me directly for posing music, questions, concerns, comments, guest invites, or coffee invites, um, or what I'm going to be doing in, my, in the next six months, my plans for the next six months, and everything like that. Plans for the new studio coming up next year. Hit me up on all, all that information. You can email me directly, positive sarcasm at outlook.com. Excellent podcast today. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I got a lot of energy out of my way. Thank you for listening, watching, and subscribing, and I will talk to you all next week. Recorded here from the Spare Parts Studio, this has been a Positive Sarcasm presentation.
this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate.